0: Welcome to Wind Up Weekly.
1: I'm Matthew Gorn.
0: And I'm Katie Canfield.
1: And we're here to share the week's news in wine.
0: This week on Wind Up Weekly.
1: Australian winemaker Taris Okota dies, as does renowned Bandol producer Lulu Perrault.
0: Confusion and controversy over UK government COVID laws.
1: Italian police arrest two men counterfeiting Sasakaya.
0: French authorities increase restrictions on the use of glyphosate herbicides.
1: And as ever, our Wine of the Week.
0: So before we dive into the news, uh, we'll discuss our week in wine as usual. And this week was quite exciting one for the pod. We released our first special report that went out yesterday to all our subscribers. You can find it wherever you get your podcast. The same as Wind Up Weekly. You'll see in the title it does say special report. And so hopefully it's something that we'll start to do more frequently uh, moving forward. This special report we recorded in response to the Constellation Gallo deal that we reported on the pod on Monday. And we tasted through some of the wines involved in the deal. So what did you think of the tasting, Matthew?
1: It was quite an interesting one, a uh, very mixed quality. These were all um, inexpensive brands, uh, between $10 and $15 mostly. And we just tasted five some of it was a little painful. Cook's Champagne, which is a California sparkling wine, wasn't particularly pleasant. But a couple of them are actually uh, pretty good. The Nobilo Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand, and also the Ravenswood Old Vine Zinfandel from here in California. And so it's just interesting to try these wines at these price points, that uh, which ones do a good job and which ones don't.
0: Yes, and some of them were a bit too familiar, weren't they, with the, I recall, the cook's champagne, as they say. Um, That was something sort of a staple in my house growing up, Easter mornings and for any kind of celebrations. and, And I know the black box, that Chardonnay we tried wasn't one of our favorites, but um, again, kind of a staple for many consumers out there. So pretty enlightening.
1: Important market to know about in the inexpensive uh, categories It's what a lot of people drink. Um, Also this week, we're very delighted to share extremely good news, which is that that our favorite bar um, here in Petaluma is back open called Ernie's Tin Bar. It's an old uh, speakeasy that masqueraded as a garage back in the 1920s, and it's still going strong or it was until march when it's forced to close down because it doesn't serve food but they've got um, some food trucks coming in uh, to serve food so that they can um, open up again and they've expanded their patio area and it's just so pleasant to be back at your favorite bar talking to uh, the favorite bartenders and just having great beer we had a russian river blind pig and um, some good food as well so it's a very pleasant experience and it feels a bit more normal even though it's a little bit different
0: Well, and this was the second week that they've been open. Uh, So our second time there. And yeah, I think they have it all very well dialed in. It felt very safe, very clean. I was a little bit disappointed as one of the customers did a little dine and dash, which was appalling considering what the entree is facing these days. And to think that consumers or customers are still out there thinking they can take advantage like that. So, a little disappointing, but uh, hopefully not something to be repeated.
1: No, and I don't think he will be welcome back.
0: Now, on with the news. Sad news to report this week as two very different but equally influential winemakers passed away. Taras Akata, of the South Australian producer Akata Barrels, died after a long illness, aged only 49 Taras had established a reputation for maverick, experimental, forward-thinking, high-quality wines and his passing was met with great sadness among the wine community, internationally, who appreciated his passion and warmth, as well as the wines themselves. A Ukrainian punk rocker, Taras established the winery in 2008 and was a trailblazer for a new style of Australian wine. Akata Barrels' U.S. importer, Ronnie Sanders of Vine Street Imports, said Taras was the first winemaker in South Australia in the modern era to pick early and still get tons of incredible flavor. He paved the way for all of the young winemakers in Australia who may have been brought up on the bigger style of wine to say that these wines were fine for our parents, but it's not what we want to do or drink. He was the most important winemaker of a generation. He is survived by his wife, Amber, and their two children.
1: Legendary producer Lucy Lulu Perrault of Domaine Tempier in Bandol also passed away this week, aged 102. Her story is an overview of the development of the Bandol appellation over the last 85 years. When she married her husband, Lucienne, in 1936, her new father-in-law gifted them a family property dating back to 1834, which had its own cellar and pre-phylloxera vines and they were determined to make Bandol an AOC, which happened in 1941 and put Bandol on the international map. The first wine was made in 1943, and after the war, the couple travelled globally and gained international acclaim. Inspiring chef Alice Waters to open her famous, influential Chez Panisse restaurant in San Francisco in the 1970s, due in part to Lulu's dynamic celebration of food and wine pairings. She has survived, deep breath, by seven children, 14 grandchildren, 29 great-grandchildren, and one great-great-grandchild. Yes, Lulu was certainly quite the matriarch with that huge family, who I'm sure offered her lots of support in her final days. And it's quite the milestone to celebrate someone who's lived through the entire history of the Bandol Appalachian, getting that property before it even was an Appalachian, and then helping curate it, and then promote it. And that their wines are world-class, of course which is so important as well because of that quality. Bandol is now considered the premium Provence Appellation and a byword for world-class Mourvedre and Rosé. Anyone who loves Mourvedre or high quality Rosé looks the Domaine Tempier as the template for some of the best wines made from that grape and in that style. What a life.
0: Yes, indeed. And Taraz, uh, he was too young. There were a few text messages going around uh, the evening. We got the news, so it's very clear how how loved and admired he was among the wine trade. We actually featured one of his wines, Texture Like Sun, as our wine of the week a couple of months ago. Wonderful, light-bodied, eccentric wines and my real regret is not being introduced to these wines sooner. You know, we traveled to Australia uh, back in 2017 and, and visited some of our favorite producers and had Akata barrels been on our radar. We we definitely would have gone and seen them. And so anyway, we we have the wines now and, and can enjoy some of the fruits of his labor.
1: In the UK, There is a standoff between the national government and regional leaders over the imposition of so-called Tier 3 restrictions. The government has ordered the closure of bars, pubs and restaurants in the north of England, but MPs from all parties have complained that not enough financial aid is being offered to offset the economic hit that would affect such businesses. The clash follows a long-standing regional divide between the south of England and the north, with London perceived to be receiving more financial aid than northern cities such as Manchester.
0: Liverpool has been placed under Tier 3 restrictions, in which all pubs and bars must close. But Greater Manchester is refusing to enter Tier 3 unless workers receive 80% compensation for lost wages. London was upgraded on Friday to Tier 2 status, in which different households cannot meet inside. These different tiers have caused a lot of confusion, with potential consumers not sure what they can and cannot do. Tier 2 restrictions don't seem that different from Tier 1, in which pubs and restaurants must close at 10 o'clock, and groups of people from different households can be no larger than 6. Such confusion tends to keep people away from pubs and restaurants rather than encouraging them to support local businesses, which is what we need right now.
1: Absolutely. Meanwhile, sales of alcohol continue to rise in the UK, up 28% compared to the same period last year, and 4% up on the previous month, double that of other grocery products. The main beneficiary of these increased sales were convenience stores and online channels, with the ease of purchase an important factor. This also means that the big brands are gaining the most sales, which convenience stores mostly stock. However, retailers have heavily promoted their own brand labels, which now account for 2% of the market. Some of those figures, KT, continue to follow the trends that we've been reporting on over the last year
0: we are seeing those trends continue with uh, many retailers benefiting but again these ups and downs and ever changing rules are not helping at all uh, the on trade is, is still suffering pretty majorly and it's hard to see any light at the end of the tunnel
1: yes and in the uk there's just to keep changing the tiers and which tier a city or a region is in consumers don't quite know what's going on but nor do retailers either can they serve can they not serve who can they serve who, can they serve? who can't they serve tier 2 you just can't meet other households indoors, but you can still go inside to drink and eat. But how is someone going to monitor whether those people are from the same household or not? And so it's all a little vague and not helpful. And businesses continue to struggle as they fight to get out of this situation.
0: And just for some cl- clarification on the tier two status. So for tier one, you mentioned that the these groups of people from different households can be no larger than six. So for tier two, when these different households cannot meet inside, that doesn't prevent uh, groups from the same household uh, congregating inside. Is that right?
1: I believe so. I think you've just gone through what everyone in the UK is going through. The look in your face as you're trying to work out what you can and can't do. Uh, I can see the confusion, and I think that's echoed across the UK. But as far as I can tell, if you live in a household of 20 people, maybe you can go to the pub and have a drink. But if you um, only live in a household of two people, that's all you can meet.
0: Well, that's my question about the the number of people and the restrictions, because cause when my family gets together, we're about 30 people, so I'm not sure a restaurant could even bring us all in.
1: That's an important distinction, because it's not um, families being allowed to meet, it's households being allowed to meet in, indoors. And uh, So again, that's where people get a bit confused to think, what is that the actual definition of household? And again, how do you monitor that? I imagine the confusion will uh, continue to go on through the winter. <coughs>
0: Sassicaia is one of the great wines of Tuscany, and as such, is the target of fraudsters. This week, Italian police arrested two men, with several others under suspicion, for creating 2 million euros worth of fraudulent Sassicaia. After a year-long investigation, police intercepted 41 cases labeled Sassicaia from 2015. Last month, police seized 80,000 counterfeit items, and it is estimated the alleged criminals were making 700 fake cases a month, selling them to China, South Korea, and Russia. The actual wine is said to have come from Sicily, the bottles brought in from Turkey, and other packaging materials from Bulgaria.
1: Meanwhile, in New York, a wine distributor has been jailed for two years. Joseph Falconi appeared on reality TV show Shark Tank, pitching a single-serve glass called Copa di Vino to contestants on the show. The pitch didn't work but it piqued the interest of some of the contestants who invested in the product separately from the show. Falcone received over $500,000, which he used for personal benefit rather than the actual product. And that's partly because the producer of Coppa Divino has absolutely nothing to do with the fraud. They weren't receiving any of this money. Falcone was merely a distributor of the product, pocketing the investment. So Katie, why does wine attract so much fraud?
0: It's a great question, Matthew. And I think Some of it has to do with people wanting to be associated with a luxury product without quite knowing what they're actually getting. I mean, we see this in all other industries as well. I actually listened to a podcast, a great one actually, Wine Blast with Susie and Peter. They're two MWs, married, and they do some really interesting profiles about wine countries and influential people working in the wine industry. So they did an interview with Hugh Johnson And Hugh was commenting about, you know, that was his, one of his biggest regrets about the wine industry and and the way that it's headed is that wine is now considered a luxury product as a commodity. Um, When in fact, you know, it is, it's a agricultural product, something that is cultivated from the ground up, but it's a labor of love for so many people. But yes, once we get into these luxury categories, we start really looking at these wines as nothing more than commodities and something to be put on the shelf and turned around to get more money for later on.
1: Yes, and it's notable that the fraudulent Sasakaya sas- has been sold to China, South Korea, and Russia, three markets where there is an emerging middle class who want to uh, show that they have some money and kind of show off their uh, su- success. And so those markets are also ripe for fraud because education about these wines may not, not, be, not be too great. And so people take advantage of that rather than educating them them about the real thing. In France, authorities have continued to restrict the use of glyphosate herbicides used in products such as Roundup and believed to potentially cause cancer. Last year, 36 glyphosate herbicides were banned and cannot be used after November this year. Now, a further 13 have been banned, and the ban will come into effect in six months' time. The ban also specifies where glyphosate cannot be used, for example, between rows of vines. There are exceptions, however. Steep, stony, or terraced vineyards that cannot be farmed mechanically can use 450 grams per hectare of glyphosate, although only a maximum of 20% in the parcel. So this is positive news, isn't it, Katie?
0: Yes, well, it's quite surprising that it's still even an issue. You would think, you know, this day and age no real good winemaker or grower should be using this stuff. I mean, there's been so many studies done about how horrific it is for our environment, especially today where, you know, climate change, you've got environmental responsibility is pretty much paramount among consumers and within the trade. It shouldn't even be a question, but I guess, you know, as they've specified here, there are certain vineyards that are more difficult to farm without the use of herbicide. And now for our wine of the week, which is Katie. So this week we're going for a wine that's very distinctive and unusual, and arguably a little imperfect. Intrigued? Well, let's discuss. So this is a wine that I actually blinded you on last night, Matthew, and uh, what did you think it was?
1: Well, I said it smelt like Nebbiolo, because it's really floral and perfumed and pretty and red fruits and spicy. But it's just so light on the palate that I thought it must be kind of Chianti, Chianti Classico, uh, Sangiovese. So that was my conclusion. But my first instincts turned out to be correct.
0: Yes, they were. So the wine we're talking about is Gidi Vira, Clare Nebbiolo, 2019. It's by one of our favorite Barolo producers uh, who make a fabulous range of wines. Lange Nebbiolo, Barolo, Single Vineyard Barolo, Dolcetto, Freza, even Riesling, and an outstanding Chinato. Family run and owned, there's both a seriousness and approachability to both the people and the wines, and they really combine tradition with experimentation to remain contemporary. The wine we've chosen is a Nebbiolo, but very different from Barolo or Barbaresco, which can last decades. Clare is made in a style that goes back to the early days of Barolo, when Nebbiolo was made slightly sweet and with a slight spritz and was designed to be drunk young. So this wine is from 2019 and is just that, light-bodied and fruity. Uh, It's really pretty on the nose, as you said, Matthew. On the palate, it's a little jarring and we couldn't quite decide what it was. What did you think?
1: Well, we thought, was it too much sulfur? That seems unlikely for um, this producer. Or was it just too much carbon dioxide to get that touch of spritz? Because it had a tangy, almost chemical quality which we weren't expecting from after such an attractive nose. However, we drank it with pasta and the high acidity and gripping tannic structure went well with the food. So overall, we loved the nose, but weren't quite as convinced by the palate. But a fascinating wine to test our palates against.
0: Well, and I do think as it was open, we you know we let it kind of decant over the course of the evening and I, I felt that sort of chemical quality uh, dissipate a little bit. And also the twenty eighteen vintage, which we had quite recently, had none of that. So maybe, you know, this needs a little more time in the bottle for that to, to sort of fade away. Or, you know, maybe it's just a, a difference between what happened in the winery between vintages.
1: Yes, it'd be quite a contradiction that a wine designed to be drunk young needs to be aged to make it kind of more balanced. Yes, maybe it just is that vintage variation, not quite as balanced as the the previous vintage, which we loved.
0: Well, in any case, it was a very interesting wine. And I think it's important to consider all of these things and you know every wine that we talk about doesn't necessarily need to be one that we're in love with but maybe one that that challenges us as as wine connoisseurs to think about what's going on in the winery i mean that's the beauty about wine there are so many factors going into it and each year it's different i agree cheers to that so that's it for this week's wind up thank you all for listening and as always, we do invite you to rate and review us. You can do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find the pod. And it really does help us out to know if you guys appreciate the content we're putting out there and to help other people find us.
1: Yes, and please be part of the conversation. We appreciate your comments and your feedback and um, what you think of what's going on in the wine world. See you next week. Right
0: now. So cheerio.